Yes. Sometimes it's said that bhakti begins after liberation. So, how do we, I mean, I understand that, you know, we, we are engaged in service by the grace of the Guru, but um, that's the only way to understand that, really? I mean, you can't really practice real bhakti without being on the spiritual platform, you know, Brahma Bhutta. So. No. The uh, idea is that there are three manifestations of bhakti. Sadhana bhakti, bhava bhakti, and prim bhakti. So, sadhana bhakti is performed by the non-liberated, and bhava bhakti is is liberation and beyond. And then, prim bhakti is the the distilling, so to speak, of that bhava bhakti becomes condensed and and attachment for Krishna becomes overwhelming the heart and the heart becomes entirely softened. So sadhakas engage in sadhana bhakti and sadhana bhakti is a, a manifestation of bhakti for the non-liberated to in the course of bestowing love of God brings about liberation. And sadhana bhakti is said to be fruitful if what? If it leads to bhava bhakti, then it's it's fruitful, it's successful. So also we have kunishtadikari vaishnav, madhyamadikari vaishnav, uttamadikari vaishnav. And it's said it's the generosity of the uttam and madhyam adikari vaishnav that, they, that this term is extended, kunishta, to the non-liberated. So, in that sense, yes, by the mercy of those persons, then we are somehow engaged in bhakti. They've given the idea that the term kanishtadikari, but prakriti vaishnav, it means materialistic devotee, <laughs> so still in the, in the influence of material nature, because devotee means, in the full sense of the term, beyond the reach of material nature, nirgun, vaishnavi jati buddhi. So, it is their, I think that's what you asked, is it just their mercy that we are engaged in bhakti? So in one sense, yes, it's true, but that that is the generosity of bhakti also that she manifests in a form of sadhana bhakti. And sadhana bhakti then involves engaging the mind and the senses in practical ways in Krishna's service, in hearing and chanting. We should do it in such a way that it will be fruitful. Develop into bhava bhakti, which is rarely achieved. Sudulabha. <laughs> but see the power of sadhana bhakti. What are the characteristics of sadhana bhakti? Shuddha bhakti, pure devotion, is sixfold in its characteristics. So two pertain largely to sadhana bhakti, two to bhava bhakti, and two to prema bhakti. So, sadhana bhakti means, when you say sadhana bhakti, it means in the context of shuddha bhakti. There may be other manifestations of bhakti that aren't the culture of pure devotion, unalloyed devotion, devotion for its own sake, not devotion for the sake of mukti or for the sake of any material acquisition, not covered by those ambitions, 
we may have those ambitions, but we don't practice bhakti with a view to fulfill those ambitions, but for its own sake. This is the culture of Shuddha Bhakti. So in a generous way, therefore, Prabhupada would say, oh, all of my disciples, they're pure devotees, because they're all engaged in culture of pure devotion. They're not cultivating devotion for an ulterior motive, but for its own sake, for love of Krishna. For love's sake, that means for no reason. Ahituki. So in the context of Shuddha Bhakti, that sadhana bhakti, that manifestation of shuddha bhakti called sadhana, it means love in practice, how to practice love. Difficult thing to do. <laughs> how can you practice love? Love is natural and spontaneous, and it really doesn't have to be taught. It happens. It may even happen when you're not looking for it or looking in the opposite direction. It happens. So love of Krishna is like that. It happens. When he wants it to happen, it, it happens. Love happens. <laughs> love. <laughs> I would make a t-shirt out of that. Tell that to Gopal Kumar. <laughs> so how can we practice that? How can we teach it? Well, what we can teach is we can teach about things that might be conducive to its manifesting, awakening, its dawning. Like um, it's a sure thing that a young girl will fall in love with a young boy for the for the most part, or a young boy will fall in love with a young girl. That's pretty much a given in this world. So, but at the same time, we have there's the whole fashion industry and the makeup industry, and and there's so many things that are taught about how to make that happen more quickly, or <laughs> how to arrange one's life so it's conducive to that. <laughs> So, in a sense, a sadhana bhakti is like that, how you arrange your life so it's, it's conducive for that to happen. But we know also that the nature of sudha bhakti is such, just like love, as I said, it may happen without that. You may not do sadhana. We call that kripasiddhi. This is described in bhakti rasamrita that bhakti, bhava bhakti means, it means real bhakti, bhakti proper, may come simply by the mercy of Krishna or the Jamuna, Govardhan, a great sadhu's blessing in some way, it can happen just like that. There are some instances. Rupa Goswami will give an instance and say, so it can happen. It doesn't happen all the time, but it can happen like that. The general course is that you arrange your life in such a way to attract the, the sympathy of Krishna, the attention of Krishna. And when you, you're successful in that regard, first expression of that is that he sends someone to help us representing him we pay attention there then we get his his full attention then love comes but as i said with regard to young boy and young girl love will come it's pretty much a given so it's pretty much a given when that's another thing and we may have something to do with that Hmm? when love for krishna will come therefore you know, the, the Damodar Leela where uh, Mother Yasoda tried to bind Krishna with the rope and the rope was two inches too short. So the two inches are said to represent mercy and endeavor, effort. So the effort is that sadhana, making that arrangement. 
and the mercy is his mercy there's no reason or rhyme to that it comes as as he sees fit so both things must be there out of the two if we were to pick which was more important we'd say the mercy of Krishna is important you have to have that you could do without the effort but don't count on that <laughs> in fact we should live just the opposite thinking that it knowing that it fully depends on Krishna's mercy to attain love for him but acting as if it's fully dependent upon our practice our, our effort such kind of effort we should make that's called bhajana kriya do or die kind of attitude this kind of effort you see that effort one thing that that effort will do it will, it will chase away unwanted things in fact that it largely at a particular stage is the effort in the context of cultivating love of Krishna through the chanting of the holy name of Krishna what does Mahaprabhu say the first development is Chetur Dharpanam Arjanam Dharpanam means the mirror, so the, the mirror of the heart. He's given the analogy there's like dust on the mirror of the heart. When the dust is removed, then whatever the mirror comes in touch with, it will reflect that, just like a crystal. If you put a crystal next to a red rose, you'll have a red crystal. If you put a crystal next to a yellow rose, you'll have a yellow crystal. But if you take uh, an ordinary stone that's not clear, it's not transparent, put it next to a rose and it, it won't change colors. That's why we don't change, we don't take on the rag, the color. Rag also means color. The color, our heart doesn't take on the color of love of Krishna because it's, it's colored already or covered, colored, covered with the dust of material conceptions, desires and so forth. That's why we hear statements like, oh, he chanted, she chanted, and became a devotee, and things happened so quickly, and we read those kind of stories, or we hear things in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu with regard to aspects or limbs of sadhana bhakti and how they, by doing this, that happened, by just going in the parade of Rathayatra, he became liberated once, seeing that we've gone so many times, and we're wondering why that doesn't happen, so... This is why. Srimad Bhagavatam says, Dharma projita kaitavotra paramonia matsaranam satam. Vedyam vastava matu vastu shibadam. Tapat prayun mulanam. Srimad Bhagavate mahamunikite kimba parayishpara. Sadyo hudeyavarudhyatetra kidibi susushubhistakshanat. This is the vastu nirdesh shloka of the Bhagavatam. Second shloka means the essence of what the Bhagavatam is about is contained in that shloka. There's two sides to it. Dharma Projita Kaitavotra Paramo Nirmat Saranam Satam. This is the cleansing of the heart, all these things. Getting rid of all things. Kaitava Dharma, the desire for material acquisition, the desire for liberation, removing the heart from these things. When it comes to an, an unenvious position, you don't want the knowledge of Krishna. His position means liberated position. No desire for that. No desire for his um, material opulence. Nirmatsar means then that envy. This Bhagavatam is meant for these type of people. They can relish the Srimad Bhagavatam. And the verse goes on to say, oh, it's compiled by the Muni Vyas. And Sadyo, 
it has power to uproot tapatreon mulanam, the glue of material nature. Today is Shivratri. We'll talk about it tonight. Tasam Brahma Mahadyanira, Aham Bija Pradapita. He's mentioned in Bhagavad Gita, Lord Shiva in the 14th chapter. Sarvayoni Shakundaya Mutayasam Bhavantiya. That Vishnu doesn't associate with Maya, but by his glance he goes there. It's said in the Bible, if you look at the face of a woman, then oh, you've gone there. It's possible to go there, but not go there at the same time. Vishnu doesn't go there, but he glances. In that sense, he goes there, associates with Maya, and that is a, has a wonderful effect. So it's not an ordinary glance. A wonderful effect of the whole world. The world becomes manifest. That Shiv means the Jeev. Composite of the jeev is being placed into into the womb of material nature. Then a conglomerate of jeev shakti appears as Brahma, and from there it manifests as so many individual jivas in relation to karma. And, it, and so, what is the glue that fastens us to material nature? We're connected by desire, because we have desire. We're in a position of coming in relation to material nature, which manifests to facilitate that desire. So this is, in one sense, the force. But once we're connected by desire, then there's a glue that fastens us that we call the gunas, the modes of nature, and become fastened, and it's very tightly fastened. mulanam. It can uproot at the root. It can, this hearing the Bhagavatam, can remove the glue of material nature the influence of the modes of material nature, the three gunas. And, then to our point, He says, simply the desire, one who has the desire to hear this Bhagavatam, who gets this inclination, this desire, Krishna becomes arrested in his heart, captured in his heart. So when we are reading Bhagavatam all the time, we can't seem to capture Krishna in our heart. So we may think, well, is this verse true? So Jiva Goswami has explained, this is for th- for those whose hearts are clean already, who come in touch with Bhagavatam, like Sukadev. As soon as he came in touch with Bhagavatam, then its magic took place, because his heart was clean, like a crystal. We call that uh, what's called uh, sputik money, this kind of jewel. It means a crystal. When in touch with that subject of love, it takes on that love. So, beginning stage of bhakti has much to do with the effort of removing things that are not in the interest of bhakti, arranging our life in such a way, just as if a girl will fall in love with a young boy, but if she's unkempt and other such things, then we can tell her, you like this, dress like this, comb your hair like that, keep yourself clean and so forth. The likelihood of this happening is greater than... It might happen anyway, that's true, but this will be conducive. So the sadhana bhakti is, is much to do with that. We do hear and chant, and that's, of course, important, but that's effective. That will be the cleansing of the heart. And, and 
And that means that the chanting has to be done with some thoughtfulness, conscientiously, attentively, with introspection. That's something bhakti is without introspection. And devotees are also learned and thoughtful. Although the doctrine is one that, that is said to transcend thought, knowledge, as we were discussing last night, and that's true. But in order to arrive there, we have to apply our, ourselves, be thoughtful, and be introspective in order to transcend the need for introspection. So sadhana bhakti has much, much to do with, with that. This way we make, create an environment that's conducive for love. You cannot teach love, you cannot practice love, but you can practice things that will bring about love. The foundation of love is service. As Prabhupada used to say, if you love someone, then you serve them. So chanting, actually, of the holy name of Krishna, is really an expression of love. If you love someone, you also sing about them, talk about them, think about them. Their name is you would like to hear. So really, the chanting of Krishna Nama is an expression of love. Therefore, we say that the mantra, which is a particular arrangement, a formula of Krishna's names for a purpose, retires at a certain point, but Krishna Nam continues. Even in the Nitya Lila, eternal Lila of Krishna, their chanting is going on. Ram, Ram, Mahabaho, the cowards are chanting the names of Ram and Krishna, gopis are chanting. It was in Kirtan, in, on the banks of the Jamuna, that the gopis engaged in when Krishna disappeared from their midst. And it is that Sankirtan that, that brought him back and also brought about the manifestation of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in that, that context. So to sing Lila Kirtan, they were doing you know, Nam Kirtan. This is uh, manifest in the imperfection in, in and reaches down to us in the lowest stages of of imperfection, but ultimately, this chanting is an expression of love. Sometimes we can imitate people who have love, and it's an imitation of a good thing is a compliment. So if you compliment Krishna and his devotees by chanting, even though for you it's not fully a manifestation of love to sing his names, it will cleanse the heart. Our Guru Dev has told us to chant, so in that sense we we take it as as service. But it's service proper in liberated life. Krishna is present in his name, his form, his qualities, his lila is fully present there. So by chanting in perfection, one can participate in the lila. It's the name in the background energizes one's service, one's service and one's nature, which is a serving nature in relation to Krishna, manifests through the chanting of the holy name. And because it manifests through that means, then the name in Golok, for example, in the Leela, it remains present, energizing that which it brought about, it manifested one's particular service in the Leela. So, even if you don't understand it, chant, chant Hare Krishna. There is no better service than chanting the name of Krishna. But we can't chant really fully in the full sense of the term. But we can chant with a view 
to have our heart purified that we might be able to understand the full implication, ramifications of such chanting. Therefore, Chetodarpanamarsha, and this is the beginning stage. Sadhana Bhakti is much about that. Mahaprabhu gives one, one line to that, Chetodarpanamarjanam, then Bhava Mahadavagani, liberation. And then, Shreya Kairava Chandrika Bhattaranam, then the moon of Krishna, the soothing moon rays of Krishna Bhakti begin to come in, into the heart. This is the third stage, and he gives development within that. So he gives attention, and a little bit of attention, Chetatapranamajan, cleanse the heart. This is the first part. Remove the dust on the mirror, then when you, the mirror of your heart shines on Krishna, then the love that Krishna embodies will reflect there in your heart and shine. So sadhana bhakti is uh, bhakti. It is the generosity of Bhakti Devi and the generosity of the devotees. It is said that Bhakti Devi is independent. So in order to attain Bhakti, we haven't got to practice anything else. And because she's independent, it means she go wherever she likes. Gyan, for example, in comparison, is not independent. Gyan can only go into a pure heart. Mystic insight, real knowledge... It only enters into a pure heart. If we purify our heart, knowledge will come through self-sacrifice, karma yoga, for example, as the Gita teaches, that will bring mystic insight, wisdom, proportionate to the heart's being cleansed. But bhakti comes even to an unclean heart, if she so chooses, in the form of sadhana bhakti, through the medium of a madhim adhikari bhakta, Bhakti proper manifests in the heart of the Madhyam Bhakta. And then, although she doesn't discriminate, she'll go anywhere. He exercises some discrimination. That's the very nature of, characteristic of the Madhyam Manikari. Avoiding envious people, cultivating love for Krishna, making friends with devotees, showing mercy to innocent people, avoiding envious people. This, this way his life is characterized by discrimination. She doesn't discriminate, but appearing in the heart of a Madhyam Bhakta, he exercises some discrimination as to where to distribute Bhakti. Still, she can override that and go wherever she likes. But above and beyond that, generally speaking, in the form of sadhana bhakti, in that form, she comes to the heart, even of those who are not yet pure. Therefore, in Bhagavatam it's mentioned that... Krishna's pastimes are pristine. The love affair of Radha and Krishna is pure. And to emphasize that, Sukadeva Goswami says, if you hear about that love, Rajabhadu Bhagina Bhakopita, no, Rajabhadu, another verse. If you hear anyway about the Rajabhadu, the wives of, of Braj and their relationship with Krishna, then Bhaktim Param. Bhakti will come in the heart and then lust will go away. It doesn't say lust will go away and then bhakti will come in your heart. But bhakti will come in your heart and then lust will go away. And the idea is you'll get bhakti proper simply by hearing about Radha and Krishna. Of course, this is a big verse and there's many, many things that uh, could be said about it. But in a generous 
interpretation of the verse, rendering of the verse, which is required in order to lay stress on the efficacy of bhakti and a purifying, pure and purifying nature of Radha and Krishna's lila, which may be prone to misinterpretation. Therefore, sometimes a generous rendering of this verse is required. That uh, if a person hears about the affairs of the wives of Braj and how they went with Krishna, this verse comes as an answer to Maharaj Pariksit's inquiry. After hearing the whole Rasa Leela, he says, How is it possible that Krishna, who is Dharma Setu, the very bridge of Dharma, we walk over, we have to stand upon to be Dharmic and cross over the, the river of material existence, the raging river of material desire? How can he be going with someone else's wives? How is it possible? Which is what this story seems to say. And then Sukadeva, among other things, quotes this verse. And so he wants to emphasize, oh, this is a pure thing. Don't misunderstand. It's so pure that I tell you this, that if you hear about these pastimes, then what will happen is bhakti, the highest ideal of dharma, prema dharma, will come in your heart. And material desires, the, the disease, hridrogam, ashvapino, tyachirena, dhira, the rogue, the disease of material attachment, lust, will, will go away. So again, a generous rendering of this. Just hear about Radha and Krishna, and you have, even if you have lust in your heart, by hearing these pastimes, it, you don't have to do anything else, it will go away. It has such power. But, that's one interpretation of the verse, as I say, a generous interpretation. And the generous interpretation is required only for this purpose, to put stress on that such power is there. It is so pure. Even the most impure person can be purified by being in touch with that. But in closer analysis, we see oh, there's a whole process. This is the kind of the... We're taking here in this verse two ends of the spectrum, the lowest person and the highest ideal. And putting the lowest person in touch with the highest ideal, when does that really happen? This is mentioned in Bhagavatam. Sukadeva Goswami was speaking Rasalila to who? Maharaj Parikshit. Not an ordinary person. The great Mahabhagavata himself, with such earnestness, he made inquiries and with such attention, in fact, he's cited as an example of one who's ex- exhibiting bhava-bhakti. Bhava-bhakti is exhibited by ninefold symptoms. One of those symptoms is exemplified in Maharaj Parikshit. He heard that Srimad Bhagavatam with such rapt attention, seven days, seven nights, he fasted from food and drink, he heard Srimad Bhagavatam. This is not an ordinary listener. He was very advanced. That's who Sukadev was speaking Bhagavatam to. I mean, there was an assembly of many people who were gathered, but he spoke it in response to Parikshit's answer. He came, appeared on the scene as a response to the earnestness of Parikshit Maharaj. And although he spoke it in a large assembly, it said he did it in such a way that not everybody could understand the implications of what he was talking about. So when do we have this example of the lowest end of the spectrum of 
ignorance and material contamination coming in touch with the highest ideal. Let me give you a hint. When we do have that, that is an expression of the highest magnanimity. So that means what? That happens when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu comes. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu brings the highest thing and gives it to the lowest people. If you give the highest thing to qualified people, <laughs> that's not the fullest expression of magnanimity. But when you give the highest thing to the most unqualified people, then you have magnanimity. So, interfacing these two, the reality of that, the practical reality of that, takes place in Gorlila. And if we study that, we see that there's a whole process involved. This is just a generalization. Mahaprabhu did that, right? He brought the lowest end of the spectrum and was in touch with the highest end of the spectrum. But how did he do it? It was a whole teaching, a whole methodology. He didn't just say, okay, take a bunch of fallen people, as, as fallen as you can find, and uh, recite the Rasalila to them. That's not what he did, did he? So if we study the verse carefully, we also find out the teaching of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was also in that verse in Bhagavatam. That is actually when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, esoterically speaking, manifested at the time of that Raslila. When Krishna saw the measure of the gopis' love after returning, hearing their songs on the banks of the Jamuna, he thought, my God, I am Rasaraj, the king of love. But I've never seen love like this. How can I truly be the king of love unless I can taste that? And so acknowledging their, in a sense, superiority in terms of expressing love to himself, he bowed to them, and the desire awakened in him to take their position, uh, to experience the full expression of love. So this verse comes right at the end of that whole description. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teaching must be in there. So if we study the verse carefully, then, then we find that. What do we find? That Sukadev says, uh, these Braja uh, Badu, the wives of Braj, they're associating with Vishnu, he says. Vikriditam Prajavadu Vagina Vakritam Prajavadu Chavishnum. Idam Chavishnum. Shadhanvitam. So he says Vikriditam means play. So the play, Vikriditam Prajabadu of the wives of Praja. Vikriditam Prajabadu Idam Chavishnu with Vishnu. The play of the wives of Braj with Vishnu. It's significant that he uses the word Vishnu. He's talking about Krishna, but he's saying this. He should Vishnu means God, all pervasive. Not just a young boy in the forest, but the dalliance of the wives of Braj with Vishnu. So he brings a sober note to that. This is God. He says, Shodhanvitam nushanayad atabarnayadya. He says, those who who have very deep faith, whose Shradhanvita, Anu, faith as a result of Anu, faith derived from Anu. Anu means to follow. It means parampara. Guru parampara means a following, one after another. So who follows in that wake of the Guru parampara, as this discussion is, is coming through that, that channel, who follows that from Shukadev to Parikshit like this and develops very, Shraddha means very intense faith. So Shraddha is, is what? 
adoshadha. Shraddha is faith. Adoshadha means beginning. The beginning is faith. Rupa Goswami taught that faith is the beginning of bhakti. Faith that simply by engaging in Krishna service, by chanting Krishna Nam, my life will be perfect. I have an understanding, a sense that's compelling. I don't do it all the time, but I, but I have that, I believe it. It's dawned on me that such thing is possible. Simply by chanting Krishna my life will be fully satisfied. I keep trying to satisfy my life anyway, in other ways, but I kind of know that this is the really the truth of the matter. That it means shraddha. But that's, Rupa Goswami calls it, komal shraddha, tender faith. Because it's tender, we're not simply chanting Hare Krishna. We believe it enough, we're not going to move away from that. We're tied to that conception. We're anchored to it. Even when we try to get away, we find that just that. Sri Lokashar was kind of telling me that last night. I've tried to get away, but I, <laughs> that I, I have been unsuccessful. So we, even if we don't think so, we find there's a rope tied to us. We've been connected to this thing. It said by Mahaprabhu, glorious is that devotee who will not give up his Lord. And glorious is that Lord who will not give up his devotee. So what to speak of an eternal associate of the Lord in the Leela? You never give them up. Even if you wanted to fall from Vaikuntha, Krishna wouldn't let you. He wouldn't allow it. He couldn't bear it. How could Krishna bear to be separated from such devotees? Not possible. So he feels, even for the sadhaka, even in who faith has just dawned, he feels affinity for them. He feels affinity for them how? What to speak of the eternal associates? He feels affinity for them, these sadhakas. How? What is? How does he do that? Because what is their position? They're sometimes chanting, sometimes not, sometimes ignoring him, sometimes offending him. They don't know how to come before him properly, and they make so many mistakes. So how does he? How does he? In what way is he? And why would he be affectionately disposed towards them and attached to them through the medium? of that person through whom they've become attached, who is dear. Just like if Krishna loves me, whoever I love, Krishna's going to love them. That's love psychology. If I don't like somebody and Krishna loves me, they're in trouble from a spiritual point of view. It's said that Krishna gives the bad karma of his devotees to his enemies and it's good karma to his friends. <laughs> And more than that, to his friends also. He may give them bhakti also. So, we get this faith, tender faith, through hearing from the Guru Parampara. But what this verse says here is shadhanbita, means very intense faith. It means aprakta shadha. I once quoted this verse to Puri Marsh. He made this one comment. I understood everything he had, what he thought about it. He said, oh, that is a prakrita shraddha. Because this verse can be abused in the name of a generous rendering, which, as I said, has its place. But it, there's a place for qualifying that also. A prakrita shraddha. Not ordinary shraddha. Not komal shraddha. See, shraddha is the beginning of bhakti, but shraddha fully develops in the context of sharanagati, in the context of sharanagati, of surrender, of 
Vacho Vegam, Manasakrota Vegam, Jiva Vegam, Udarapasta Vegam. This is not bhakti. But this must happen to us if we were to get bhakti. This is bhakti in the, in the sense of sharanagati. Sharanagati means surrender. It's, it's sixfold. And the beginning of that is what? Anukul and Pratikul. Accept what's favorable for Krishna's service, reject what's unfavorable for Krishna's service. So Vacha Vegam, Manasakoda Vegam, this is all Anukul, Anukul, Pratikul. Pratikul. Giving up things that are not favorable for Krishna's service. Vacha Vegam means how to control one's words, one's speech, Manasavega, one's mind, anger, the tongue, the belly, the genital, all these things. Controlling these urges. That's not a bhakti in itself, but in the context of sharanagati, of surrendering, oh, then, the, then it, it takes on the color of bhakti. So we want to know, how, well, how do I surrender? So accept things that are favorable, reject things that are unfavorable. When we're doing that and chanting, and that becomes like the guiding light, then, oh, we are on the, on the stage of sharanagati, which is the only place that the drama of Krishna Leela will ever take place. You have to set up the stage. Just like to do a fire yagya, well, the fire yagya involves the fire and throwing things in it. But before you can do that, you have to gather all the ingredients, right? So as long as you perform the yagya, then those things are all related. So similarly, we have to set up the stage for the drama of Krishna Leela to manifest, the stage in our heart. So, when we do that, when we fully engage in charanagati, what happens is this faith becomes thicker and thicker and thicker. No longer becomes weak, tender, becomes very strong. And when it co- we come to the stage of ruchi, ruchi means a taste, getting a taste for Krishna consciousness in a general sense. This is when charanagati has reached the pitch of what's described in this verse, the faith becomes shradhanvita, that kind of faith. Aprakrita shraddha. means aprakrita shraddha. Aprakrita means looks like material, but it's not. That's Krishna Leela. Looks like something mundane, but it's not. And one knows what it's not, because something from that side has come. Something from that side is now coming. It's, there's some positive attainment, not just the removal of things from the heart, but some positive attainment has come. This is the stage in the, in the culture of bhakti where something from that side has now come. And that is the basis then, that ruchi is the basis of our very relationship with Krishna, our particular relationship with Krishna and our eternal service. That's a very special kind of faith. That's a full, firm faith, very firm faith. So. That kind of person, if a devotee develops shraddha and then cultivates sharanagati to this point, then he's doing bhakti, but it's not bhakti proper up to that point. He's doing bhakti, but it's not bhakti proper. If that person reaching this stage simply hears about Radha and Krishna, oh, then any trace of any other interest in his heart will quickly go away. And Param Bhakti, Baba Bhakti will come. So at closer analysis, we find, and I'm just going over it briefly, but the whole 
methodology that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu taught is also present here because he is the one who brings these two ends of the spectrum together, the most fallen and the highest ideal. He does it in a particular way, not in a crude way. We just take the most fallen person and let them sit down and just recite to them about the Rasalila over and over again and they become perfect. It could happen because it's so it's such a pure thing. But when Mahaprabhu showed a method by which it will definitely happen, therefore we should focus our attention on Shraddha and Sharanagati in Sadhana Bhakti. In this way, you make the stage. And when you erect the stage and it's in place, then you can know the drama of Krishna Lila will certainly be performed here. Then as the stage is erected, then you'll get the previews will come. Coming soon, at a heart near you. <laughs> Coming soon, and some preview what that, that would be like. And that preview then is very enticing. I wouldn't see the whole picture. We've heard about it, so we want to go and participate in that picture. But we're told, oh, you have to build a stage first. You have to bring it locally to your own heart. This is the process. So that is, uh, Sadhana Bhakti is much involved with that. Therefore, we emphasize Shraddha and Sharanagati. In a natural way, then, you, you'll feel you're making progress. And this is why we don't make progress, because to the extent we are not really focusing on, in, in terms of Sharanagati, of giving up unfavorable things, accepting what's favorable. So Sadhana Bhakti, it's a wonderful thing. I was mentioning earlier, I didn't finish, but it's characterized, Bhakti, Sruta Bhakti is characterized by six things. And Sadhana Bhakti, two of those, Baba Bhakti, two, and Prema Bhakti, two. Well, it's two, four, and six, because it's cumulative. Whatever is in Sadhana Bhakti is in Baba Bhakti. Whatever is in Baba Bhakti is also in Prema Bhakti. So in Sadhana Bhakti, what are the two things? Kleshagni means that it destroys miseries. So you can see how much of a sadhaka you are <laughs> if your miseries are destroyed. And what is misery? What is misery? Misery is karma. And karma is, is in different stages from aprarabdha to prarabdha, from unmanifest to manifest, and by the culture of sadhaka. But don't be discouraged, because your misery is, is great. <laughs> <laughs> I just assumed that you were. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, no, no, don't be discouraged, because the extent of your misery, you don't have any idea how, how great it is. <laughs> and how much of it's being removed, because there's a whole reservoir of unmanifest misery. We call that aprarabdha karma that hasn't manifest yet, that never will because of your practice of bhakti. So the, the miseries are at their root. The root is ignorance, and ignorance then manifests as karmic implication. This misery is removed from aprarabdha first. It's unmanifest. It becomes like uh, in its, in its manifest then in, in our psychology as a, as a thinking, and eventually it has our very actions that manifest <laughs> karma but parabdha karma, that will be removed last. But so much misery that we are due, that's being removed. You never have to see that. Kleshagni, Shubhada, and it's auspicious. Rupa Goswami has described six kinds, I think, within the context of the uh, 
there's three or six kinds of auspiciousness. If you study that, you see, oh, you be a sadhaka. If you meet a real sadhaka, you would think you met a real saint. He may only be a true sadhaka. To try to be a true sadhaka is a great thing. It's not a liberated soul. It's not a conditioned soul. It's a very extraordinary status. And such sadhakas are dear to Krishna. In fact, the world exists in one sense only for the purpose of those sadhakas. In one sense, the world exists because people, souls have material desires, and so the Lord is facilitating, that's his Shristi Leela, but really beyond that, the motivation for the world is love. Vishnu glances upon the material nature, that is Shiva, Shambhu. The world manifests, and souls are situated in accordance with the karmic rule, but Vishnu also enters into that creation. And this is his play. And what is he doing there? He's looking for sadhakas. So the material world is always manifesting again and again and again. There are always sadhakas in there. And he's after them to bring them out. So see the power of sadhana bhakti causing the whole world to manifest. And it can bring an end to the whole world, at least for you. Sridharmarsh once uh, had first book that was written, composed of his talks, was called Search for Sri Krishna, the soul searching for the, for the Lord. The devotees that were doing the, that work, they would ask him for a title, and he would give a title, and then they would gather material, somehow that would fit within that title. So at another point he was asked, and he said, oh, there should be another book, The Loving Search for the Lost Servant. So while the servant is searching for Krishna... Krishna is searching for the servant also. You know how that very touching moment in Brihad Bhagavatamrita where Krishna tells Swarup Gopakumar that uh, uh, they're embracing him. I was with you so many lifetimes. So many doors were closed in your face when you begged on my behalf. So many people abused you. And you did all that for me on my behalf. I was there waiting for you to come to me. So he's very, very generous. And therefore there's something called sadhana bhakti. So that was your question. Is it just mercy that... Because bhakti is for liberated people? The answer is, in one sense, yes. And this is what it's called, how it manifests. That mercy is called sadhana bhakti. It's a real thing, a real expression of bhakti. But it's not the fullest expression of bhakti. Anything else? Yes. You were speaking uh, about the devotee trying to come to the point of Sharanagati and removing the unfavorable aspects. Uh, but sometimes we might feel that certain aspects of our life situation may be unfavorable, but we feel that we're stuck there and that the life situation is such that it... No, but it's not a question of circumstances. When we talk about unfavorable things, it's not a question really that much of circumstances. The emotional service can be performed in any circumstance. You may think, well, I'm married, this is un- and, and I've got kids and work, and if I could only get rid of this, I could do bhakti. We shouldn't think like that. We can do bhakti as a grihasta fully. There's no problem. 
I'm not saying that that's what you're talking about, but I'm saying in general. Unfavorable things means um, things that are opposed to bhakti, that aren't favorable to bhakti. It's not that grihastha life, for example, is unfavorable to bhakti or working in a relative sense. But if you understand bhakti, then you can do bhakti in any circumstance. It's not so much about changing circumstance, but about changing your heart. So, you want to further ask a question? Or? I have some experience that I find interesting that I feel as if though there's been an increasing intense desire within myself to apply and absorb myself in mm-hmm. this culture, but at the same time, I'm also experiencing that my life situation is getting much more stressful mm. and demanding. And then these two aspects, they actually compete with each other. I should be studying or tending to something else. And, you know, I'm, sometimes I'm thinking about devotional life. Other times I should be thinking about devotional life. And I'm thinking, well, I have to do this, this, and this. And I find that the two are in competition, and there's little room for error in my life. And it's a great cause of confusion for me, you know, and trying to understand if, if I am actually situated where I should be, and these, this is my eligibility for bhakti, acting through these things, through this life situation, or if I've just made the wrong choices. I think, in general, it's easy to feel that one is more enthusiastic than one is. And in that way, neglect or dismiss the reality of one's situation in terms of desires and so forth and uh, that uh, have one in the situation that, that they're in. So it's pretty commonplace. I've seen that to happen. And if we were to be extracted from that situation to test the measure of our enthusiasm, we may find that it's not as great as we thought. Just to use a crude example, if someone is married and they think, well, I'm, all this is getting in my way, my work and family and everything, and I'm, I'm really interested in, just want to absorb myself in Krishna consciousness. and So we pluck them out of that situation and just put them in the ashram at the, you know, at the mercy of Swami, you know, good luck. <laughs> and so there'll be difficulties there also, and um, of a different kind. And so, um, just I'm speaking in general, it's easy to to think like that. I've seen that happen often. I'm not saying that that's necessarily a case with you, but I don't know all the details of your life situation or everything that you're alluding to, so I can't only answer in a general way. And again, I've seen many times like this that uh, enthusiasm should be very measured and very um, well thought out. And if there's true enthusiasm for spiritual life, then things, circumstances shouldn't get in the way. And if the circumstances are getting in the way of my enthusiasm, and therefore I want to change my circumstance, some instances that may be appropriate to some extent, but the general rule is that to test the measure and the depth of my enthusiasm, I'll see how much it carries me in in a given circumstance that I'm in. So, 
we just you know, we might come along and say, oh, I hate my wife, you know, or I hate my husband, that's such a drag, and uh, I want to be a devotee, and you take them out and put them in the ashram and see how long they last there. Again, real enthusiasm for spiritual life, bhakti, should not be be intimidated by by circumstances. So you might want to consider that and try to gravitate towards a deeper, more comprehensive understanding of bhakti. If one's enthusiasm in that type of situation, in a household situation, for example, which is a kind of the classic example of what you're talking about, in Iskand we, we saw so many examples of that. If someone is really enthusiastic and and that situation is not the appropriate situation for them, and they're more suited, for example, for monastic life, then it'll come out. It'll be apparent. It may be the case. It will be apparent. It happened to me. I was married when I joined the mission. I was married, and my wife was pregnant, and she had a son. And about um, four, three or four months after we were initiated. But I was very enthusiastic about spiritual life. I was very intensely uh, interested <laughs> in the subject matter. And that was apparent to everybody. So they arranged things to facilitate my enthusiasm, even though I was a Grihasta. And this was an ISKCON, of course, everything's every situation is different. But anyway, they gave me an apartment across the street from the temple, and they told me just to go out and sell books. And that's what I did, because I was enthusiastic for that. And the reason I was enthusiastic for that was because I didn't feel I was qualified to do any of the other, more what I thought were more important things. All I had was a natural tendency to talk about Krishna. But I had no education or any skills or talents. I never had a, really a job even <laughs> that I can remember. And so I thought, God, oh, all these people are very qualified and they're doing so many extraordinary things and they know the, these books really well and all. And I have some feeling for Krishna, so I'll talk to other people about it. I didn't know at the time that distributing Prabhupada's books was something that he really wanted. It wasn't that well, <laughs> well known. But anyway, I went out, used to go out and sell them. And so they said, you just go out and sell the books and give us all the money. We'll give you an apartment. I was happy with that. So I lived across the street from the temple. I went to all of, every program and had programs in my house as well and <laughs> at the same time. And, uh, this is in New York or L.A.? This is in L.A. And uh, so it, was, it became apparent to people that the, the, this guy is really, you know, intense. And uh, to my wife, too, it became apparent. And she complained to Prabhupada, actually, that, you know, he's spending so much time just... I mean, he does spend time with me, but it's just, you know, come home, take me to the temple, you know, take me back, you know. That's what I was like. I mean, I was spending time with her, but I was like, you know, I was teaching her, like, to be like, to share... Oh, I wanted to share my enthusiasm with her, and she was not at the same level of interest. And so she complained to Prabhupada, and Prabhupada says, it's all right, you know, he's spending more time for Krishna. It's all right, he said, something like that. He told her, it's all right, it's more important. And so uh, shortly thereafter, I was um, I was living in, uh, from an apartment, I was living in, out of a little locker about this big, we saw these little foot lockers in the temple. It just happened kind of naturally. 
everybody understood. It just made sense to everybody. So I have experience of being in a situation that wasn't a fit with my level of enthusiasm. And I found that Krishna made uh, an arrangement for me. So it should be apparent to everyone. So try to, whatever enthusiasm you have, you, you should be able to apply yourself in any situation. And if the situation needs to be rearranged, then let it come from above. Let people notice that and say, oh, look at that. We see this person should be in another situation, another ashram, another place, or whatever. And that's just a general. I have to get to know you more. Yes? I've been thinking lately about, you know, we talk about love of Krishna and the intensity of that. And I was wondering how we should think of love in relation to the Guru. And almost like comparison, I keep thinking of the kind of love we talk about Krishna, but does that have the same relation in a sense as how we should feel towards our Guru? Yeah, we should feel love for our Guru. Like a friend whom we revere. Something like that. Friendship is for equals. So we don't feel ourselves equal to our Guru. But we feel friendship. So like Arjun was reverential towards Krishna, but friendly. At the same time, the word is used, Vishrambhena Guruseva. Vishrambhena Guruseva. Vishrambha means great faith. In its full expression, it means like equals. Like the cowherds, this is the pradhan of, of Shakyaras, Vishrambha. They feel no difference between Krishna and themselves. Krishna is their buddy, their pals. So we can't take it to the fullest expression of that in relation to Guru, but Rupa Goswami used this word. We should serve the Guru, Guru Seva, Vishwambhena, with great confidence and faith and very affectionately. So affectionate servitude that just borders on, on friendliness, but not the full measure of friendliness, which would we just slap him on the back. <laughs> Something like that. So naturally, because Guru is a, is a particular manifestation of Krishna, so how you will not feel love. And then in time, of course, we'll see the Guru internally as representing to us a particular kind of love for Krishna that corresponds with our heart. And then when, when we can see that, then that love of that internal esoteric expression of Guru Tattva is more important to us than love of Krishna. It's synonymous with love of Krishna. Do you understand what I mean? If the devotee, for example, he sees his Guru as a manifestation of Krishna, all the Shastras say so, Sakshadharitena Samastha Shastra. So we think, oh, we tend to Revere him. But then, Kintu Prabhorya Priya Ivatasya. He's Krishna, but he's also dear to Krishna. So, when we start to understand not only that our Guru is a manifestation of Krishna, this is the Tattva, but that he's dear to Krishna, that he has a relationship with Krishna, a loving relationship with Krishna, and that starts to become 
apparent to us what that is. And we are related to him in relation to that sentiment. Then we start to see the guru as as a manifestation of a particular potency of Krishna, like representing the friends of Krishna or the servants of Radha, gopis. Do you understand what I mean? Mm -hmm. Then developing that kind of love, like if we saw our guru as representing Rupa Manjari, and that correspond with our heart. Like in Jaiva Dharma, that two devotees, Bijai Kumar and Brajanath, one saw their guru, Bijai Kumar, saw the guru representing Lalita Saki, Rupa Manjari's group. And so he cultivated that. Others saw the guru representing as Subal, which corresponded with his heart. So he cultivated that. So that love, cultivating that kind of love, that is love of Krishna. Do you understand what I'm saying? The way that the gopis and gopas, they embody love of Krishna. They embody a particular kind of love of Krishna. So if we want love of Krishna, it means we want them, right? We want to be like them. You see, it's a big topic, Guru Tattva. Yeah, and that's what I was thinking of. I think of the gopis because that's really what we think of the most, of their, their uh-huh. highest expression. But then I was thinking how they do, they throw themselves in front of the cart when he leaves. And <laughs> yeah, well, we don't want to do that, but... Uh, uh, you see, you have to. There's two things in play here. There's, there's that expression of that love in in the siddha deha, in the spiritual body, and then there's the how to express it in the sadaka deha, in the practitioner's body, right? So Rupa Goswami, for example, he was appearing before. He's Rupa Manjari, means he's a maidservant of Radha, in his siddha deha, but he appeared before us in a sadaka deha. So how did he act in his sadaka deha? in relation to his guru, we should act in relation to our guru. And internally, that's another thing. So, if you like me, and I walk out of here, don't throw yourself in front of me, <laughs> or your guru, <laughs> like that. But to feel that intensity, I guess that's yeah. why I wanted to know if it's appropriate. Yeah, intensity is good. How will it express itself, that's another thing. Right, that's another thing. Right. So one has to... <laughs> The intensity should, of love should be there, but it expresses itself appropriate to the circumstances, as far as possible. Right, because I see I have a lot of, I'm a very emotional person. And me too. Emotions can come real easy with me. Mm-hmm. But then when it comes down to the, you know, the practicing and the, I find that difficult. I can cry a lot about it too, which is a type of purification in itself. No doubt. But I don't have that discipline or whatever, but... I just want to know how much um, value the emotion side really has. Yeah, it has a lot of value. Emotion has to be, but it has to be tempered with under proper understanding at a certain point. So, it's enough for now. Huh? We'll meet again this evening. Sri Guru Vaishnava Guru Paramparaki Jai. Sri Bhakti Vedanta Swami Prabhupada Ki Jai.